and welcome to this new episode of The Dagger. I'm Justin Pierce here alongside Corey Kennedy, co-host. How are we doing, Corey? We are doing good. We're on a Tuesday, had the first half of this on Monday. Now we're going the second half and I'm feeling good. Um, I feel like we're really rolling into the new revamped uh, session of this and feeling good. Yeah, so we're we're going to get started with uh, what we're going to go over today and, uh, you know, a lot on the schedule as we uh, as we've always stated over the last few episodes, uh, you know, Dak's new contract. We're going to talk about that. Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo of the 49ers. Uh, we're going to talk his situation and see what the Niners should do. And we have our Alex Eshelman interview. That's it's a great interview. You guys should tune, um, you guys should listen in on that. Um, then we have our, you know, same ritual after after our interviews, our dagger or no dagger or no dagger, um, dagger five, and then dagger of the week. Um, so let's get started. Corey, uh, the Dallas Cowboys really dropped the hammer last night when um or Monday night, rather, when uh, Dak Prescott signed for four years and $160 million. Um, he, ha- he has a franchise tag for the next two years, I'm pretty sure it is. And then he has four more years after that. So he's really getting paid, like, he's getting paid over the course of six years. And he's getting $40 million per, over $40 million per year for three of those years. So he'll have $42 million in that i mean yeah 42 million dollars in, in those three years Corey, what do you think about the new deal and how you know it's as the as the wise words of lebron said after uh, the 20 2012 nba finals it's about damn time uh what do you think about the new extension and do you think this is good or bad for the dallas cowboys moving forward man yeah huge shout out to dak for getting his money i think it was well deserved long overdue um, you know, I guess you could have your questions about him, um, but I think that just, you know, I feel bad for him in a sense because he's gone through a lot in, in his personal life and on, on the field too with the, the most recent injury that he had that against the Giants, a brutal dislocation of the ankle and compound fracture on the leg. So it, that was our, and that ankle um, joint area. So that was, that's a brutal injury. Um, but I think, uh, Dak, you know, the last, I feel like it's been two, maybe even three years that we've been wondering, when's Dak going to get paid? You know, when, when's this going to all happen? And finally, Jerry Jones, you know, signed the contract, $126 million guaranteed, which I think is some type of record too, and four-year, $160 million deal. So he's, he's definitely uh, finally got that money. And I think the biggest question is, is, you know, well, first of all, too, Dak, always wanted to have that long-term deal with the Cowboys. It seemed like his heart was always with the Cowboys, but he just wasn't getting that contract. And we had, he, had, he had the horrific injury, and that's what he was trying to avoid. He was trying to be protected by uh, a career-ending injury. And, you know, he's expected to make a full recovery come the next season or the season after. But um, it, 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 that was everyone's – I feel like everybody's breath kind of, you know, got taken away when he got that injury. Um, and people thought maybe he might not even be on the Cowboys anymore. And so – We'll see, but our, you know, now we know that he's boom locked in with the Cowboys for the next four years, and we'll hopefully he can ball out on the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, during his rookie contract, for uh, he was a fourth round draft pick, so it was it was mm-hmm. a big, 
leap in salary for him. He was making, I think, 500K as rookie year, and then he won rookie of the year, and then he got incentives for that. And then now he's going to be making over 42. He's going to be making over 40 million. So that's a that's a big step in the right direction for Dak and what he plans to do in Dallas. I mean, Dallas is also the it's the football hub of the United States. I mean, like the biggest, like it's America's team, basically it's, I know it's people voted on that in the nineties, but it's America's team and you get all this marketing money as it is for being the Cowboys quarterback. I think if the, I think if the Cowboys want stability moving forward, they had to do this move. I don't think Jerry Jones wanted to be in a position to say, what if, if Dal if Dak went on to sign with, hearsay the Washington football team or if he signed with another team I mean like if he signed with another team the NFC East and Dak was beating the Cowboys every single year I mean Jerry like that would like we would never let that down with Jerry Jones I mean it's it it it, it was it was about time that Dak finally got paid and you know he finally got his money and you know it's where it's well it's well deserved and well worth and I, I couldn't be happier for him and you know it, it had it had to happen i mean it's just it you know he he was he's making more than tony romo i mean tony romo did with the cowboys i mean tony romo made 125 million uh with the cowboys and dak has 126 million guaranteed so that's 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 a big step in the right direction for uh for the cowboys and for dak I, this was the this was the right right move all along since that division isn't competitive at all. They're going to be going to, you know, they're going to be winning the NFC East if healthy every single year. It should be, but you know, who knows? The Eagles are unstable right now. The the football team is looking for their quarterback. The Giants, I mean, there's still a work in progress. There's not really much sign of, you know, things shooting up to seven and nine or eight and eight right away. So we can't really say whether they're going to be a contender in the division next year or not, but things are looking up for the Cowboys. It seems like now that they have their, they have their franchise guy locked in. Yeah. And if you look at when, uh, so you mentioned Dak was a fourth, uh, fourth round pick, pick or a 135th overall picked. If you look at the guys before him, Jared Goff traded to the lions, Carson Wentz on the Colts. Now they both got paid big time. Uh, Paxton Lynch, no team, Christian, Christian Hackenberg, no team, Jacoby Brissett, free agent, Cody Kessler, no team, Connor cook, no team. So Dak, you know, I think if you, when you try to compare those guys, you really look at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and seeing that they got their contracts, they were on teams, you know, supposedly the franchise guy on the, for the Eagles, for Wentz and for Jared Goff, the Rams. Now they're both on different squads and you see Dak Prescott finally get his money. And um, I think, you you know, I, I also hope that the Cowboys can kind of build that offensive lineup again to what it was a few years ago and can also get that defense, you know, really secured in to, to really help out Dak. And because I think the Cowboys can win with Dak and Dak's been, a, he, he can ball out. I mean, he can, he almost kind of reminds me of Cam Newton a little bit where he can just truck guys too. And he can, you know, take over games and he's a really exciting player. And so I, I really hope that Jerry Jones went all in, but I hope he goes all in on the franchise too and gets Dak the help that he needs to to move on yeah they they need to they they really need to move that um they really need to build that defense they need to draft all defense in this upcoming draft I mean they have the weapons now uh CD Gallup and uh Cooper on 
on the Cowboys. That's, I mean, that's enough of a receiving core as it is. Um, okay. You know, and they also could sign Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry, who's also a free agent now that he didn't sign, uh, get the franchise tag with the Chargers. That's going to be coming up later on in the in the show. But yeah, no, it, they 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 needed to sign Dak really to really solidify that off um, that core on the offense. And you know, you can't have any QB questions going into next year. I mean, this is this is well needed for the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy too, because. You know, it already seems like he's on the hot seat as it is, but um, at the same time, too, they need they need Dak to have that QB stability for next season and so on in the future. So definitely, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna go on to uh, our next topic, which is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers and their situation, uh, and what they should do with um, what they should do with with Jimmy G and. Um, his future moving forward he hasn't been i i mean he hasn't been healthy that much Corey. i mean he's he's missed almost half the games that he's been eligible to play over the last three seasons i think he's only played in correct me if i'm wrong it's he's only played in like 24 23 games over over the last three seasons i mean it is i mean it's it's alarming to see jimmy g be a part of this uh be a part of the niners future and then not being able to play because of injuries. I mean, he's always injured by like week two or week three. And then like a, like four years ago when the Patriots started him during Tom Brady's suspension, he, he was injured by like week two and, you know, Jacoby reset went in and took over as the starting quarterback for those games. I mean, Corey, what, what does this say about, um, what does this say about Jimmy G uh, if if the Niners do move on from him, and where do you think the perfect landing spot is for him if if they do if they do end up moving on from him? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is health that you were talking about, and just looking at his year to year on uh, Pro Football Reference, he has so six games his first year with the Niners. Then you have uh, three games, which that was this that was a really big question of you know can this guy play? And then he, the next year, twenty nineteen, he had the full sixteen games. And, you know, the, the obvious Super Bowl appearance. And then this just last past year it was only six games. And the whole Niners organization was was riddled with injuries this year, which was tough to see the team go from Super Bowl appearance to out of playoff picture completely. And so, yeah, I think the health factor is really a really a big one. And the Niners, they built a really good squad when they when they went to the the Super Bowl against the Chiefs uh, just two seasons ago. So they I think they they did have the pieces and. It's just a it's just a main question of can Jimmy G stay healthy and can he have the production? So um, you, I guess you could argue that defense kind of he kind of rode the defense. He missed a couple of throws in the Super Bowl that potentially could have flopped it the other way for the Niners. They had a chance to win that game. So you know I, I almost I don't want to write Jimmy G off, but you know I think the best ability is availability and being available on the field. And I mean when he's available, he plays 16 games, he can get him to the Super Bowl. And albeit with you know with the, with the stacked roster, but um, you know he he had that part, and I think another knock on him too in the Super Bowl run, I think he one game he only had like six pass attempts, six or seven pass attempts, and it, it was mainly off of Raheem Mostert, the running back, um, and that running core. So it, it, Jimmy G, I think he's not a guy that would really take over your game, but he thought he was thought to be the the Niners franchise guy, but he just hasn't been on the field 
for, you know, just that one seat. We've gotten really one sample season sample size of what Jimmy G can do. So health is for sure the biggest thing. But yeah, so this we'll have to see what's going to happen with if, you know, do if you're a GM, do you want to give away a guy who brought you to the Super Bowl? But that was just one year. So, I mean, so much can change it throughout the NFL. So it's going to be this QB course carousel is just insane to watch it. Yeah, I mean, they did the the Rams did do that with Jerry Goff two years after he went to a Super Bowl. And I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's possible they move on from Jimmy G. I mean, uh, just I mean, where could be where could an ideal landing spot for Jimmy G be? And who could be the 49ers replacement quarterback via trade or draft? Yeah, this is you might have to do a QB swap like what the Lions did with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. Um, You know, this would be crazy that I'm thinking just in the division, like if you go, I mean, this might not happen just because it's in the division, but Russell Wilson to the Niners and then Jimmy G to the Seahawks. But I, I don't think that would be, I, I don't, that would, that would just be way out, out of this world if that happened. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to think of a spot. I mean, I could even see Jimmy G going back to the Patriots and I know that, wow. that, 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 that wouldn't kind of sour with Tom Brady. It, and and Bill Pelichick and and that whole that front office situation that went on and um, Jimmy G ended up going to the Niners, but I do feel like Bill Belichick would slightly like to get Jimmy G back in in that QB room. And um, I'm trying to think what else the what else would be a, a good suit for him. I, I was thinking the Colts, but but I, but Carson Wentz is already there, um, and I don't know maybe the I could see maybe the Bears, but I don't know if the the market's too hot for Trubinsky um but I there's just so much going on right now and we don't know where Deshaun Watson's gonna go um there's I could see Deshaun you know lacing up with the Niners and then and Jimmy G going down to Houston um but I do just because of that game history that that we went over it was like it's you get one solid year and you're not sure um you're not sure about him is what he can do in the future so that trade value is just is definitely not at the that the Deshaun Watson or the Russell Wilson level just because of the the game the sample size. But what what do you think if you're Jimmy G? If I'm Jimmy G, I'm definitely wanting to go either. I, I'm definitely wanting to stay in the Bay. I mean, if I'm if if I'm yeah. Jimmy G, but if I'm the Niners, I try to really like try to get Deshaun Watson. I mean, you're you're yeah, the favorite yeah. in the NFC East if you have Deshaun Watson and. And if he's healthy for the, I mean, for the next however many years, I mean, like the Texans need to, the Texans need to really budge and, you know, start selling this QB when they when he's at a high price instead of after the draft where he is going to be, it's going to be a much lower price with, you know, teams already picking their franchise QB and, you know, this would be a lot, this would be a hail hail mary if they did this and. You know, one thing Deshaun Watson could do is retire and then come back. But I mean, that's such a long shot. I don't see, I don't see Deshaun Watson ever playing another down with the Texans again. And I don't see, um, I don't see him like, I don't see him ever going to training camp and, you know, really making this work. I mean, it's, it's, he's pretty locked in on, having you know wanting to go to a different team and not playing for the houston texans so it's it's an unfortunate situation you want to see you know once in a generation talent become the franchise qb for a team that he's going to be playing for but 
I mean, you know, that's just me. I, I think that, you know, with JJ Watts, JJ Watts de- departure and um, DeAndre Hopkins getting moved for a second round pick, I think, uh, I think Deshaun Watson's just tired of the instability with the Texans and, yeah. you know, having stability with the 49ers is definitely is absolutely the best situation for uh, Deshaun Watson moving forward. But speaking of barrier natives, we have a special guest. Alex Eshelman is going to be joining the podcast for this week. Um, our interview with her is going to feature a lot of Pac-12 and, uh, you know, women in sports content. So, I mean, Corey, what? Uh, do you want to just, you know, give a little preview of what uh, people are sh- should expect for this upcoming interview? Yeah, um, for yeah, people that, that don't know Alex, um, she was a former U of A cheerleader. Uh, and then she was also in part of student media. We got to know her through through journalism, the journalism major. And then she went on to do internships with Fox Sports Arizona and uh, the Pac-12 Network. So we really talked about her time at the Pac-12 Network. And, and you know, she did get to meet, she had, got, had a chance to meet Larry Scott. And we talked about where the, this, we're kind of in a, or the Pac-12 is kind of in a transitional stage and, and where she thinks that they could end up, you know, and, and where the, the, the state of the Pac-12 is going. Um, and then we got into just her time on, on the U of A campus, being a student athlete and what all that, what all that work was going into that. So, and now currently she is at um, a sports reporter for ABC Fox out in Bozeman, Montana. So we went through, we ran out a little bit of time. I wish we could have talked a little longer, but we, we, she got to go into her time there in Montana and the, the stuff that she's been able to, to do as a sports reporter out there. So it was great catching up with her. And I think you guys will really enjoy this. Um, and it just so happened, we, I don't think we even, it was just a coincidence, but it was on International Women's Day. So, so I think it, it all worked out great. And uh, I hope you guys all enjoy it. Yeah, no. And we also talked about too, you know, the, the her cheer, cheer experience with uh, U of A and, you know, what it was like being on the road for, you know, every other weekend, because, you know, during football and basketball season, it gets, it gets real busy and, you know, it's, I mean, it's a lot to keep up with and it's like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good conversation and, you know, we're going to lead into that right now. So here, here's Alex. All right, we are joined here by the one and only Alex Eshelman, former U- University of Arizona cheerleader, former UATV reporter, also a former Pac-12 uh, network intern, and now she's up in, Bo- uh, in Bozeman, Montana, working as a sports reporter and anchor up there. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's fun. We're going from the classroom, being there together, to seeing each other virtually unfortunately i wish we could see each other in person again but this will do it's the perk of of facetime and zoom yeah definitely for those who don't know alex was in was at the university of arizona with all of us with Corey, with Corey and i and we i mean we all we all were in the same uh, sports journalism class and we were in many other classes together but it's so awesome to have her on uh especially in the, on 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 international women's day so it's you know coincidentally enough that it's it's great to have you on too so it's i mean like thanks yeah so let's get started i mean we're we're there's a lot to talk about obviously i want to touch on uh 
you know, plenty of topics from the Pac-12 to uh, stuff you're covering up in Montana, but kind of wanted to start with the Pac-12 itself. Um, you know, Larry Scott is resigning at the end of June, and and you were up there for uh, for an internship last year. I, I kind of wanted to just ask about how that went and just did you get to meet him at all? And how was the internship in, uh, in the Bay Area for you? It was such a great experience. I absolutely loved working for Pac-12 Network. It was a perfect transition out of college into the quote-unquote adulting real-world situation. Um, first of all, being from Northern California, it was a dream come true to be able to move to San Francisco. I always grew up going there for birthday parties and I have family in the Bay Area. So we regularly took trips from the Sacramento area to the Bay Area. Um, so that alone was a dream come true. And then throughout my time at U of A, anytime that I had a break, whether if it was winter break or over the summer, I would always go and say hello to everyone. Mikey M, he showed up in a couple of our classes. He was wonderful and a great mentor to me, still is, and I know for a lot of others. Um, so it was just kind of surreal to be in the building with Mike and Ashley Adams, and she's amazing. Kate Scott's amazing. Yogi Roth, everybody in there um, really knows what they're doing, and they're very professional, and they also go out of their way to teach you. And so when I was there, it was this grad graduate internship program where I spent six months of my time, like four to six months of my time working with the production team, the social media team, and then the uh, business side of PAC-12. So it was a really holistic experience. And that was the best part about it is because I got to learn the entire business of working at a major power five network. I did get to meet Larry Scott and he was wonderful. He was a good leader. I mean, from my short time of being there, um, from my perspective, he was a great leader. We had um, various team company wide meetings about the structure and the transition of the company. Um, and that said, it, I think. I think uh, it's been a very transitional time for the company. Their contract um, is up. They kind of have to reevaluate everything by 2024. Their, their TV contracts, everything like that is up. So everything is kind of in this transitional state in how they plan to move forward with the company, what they plan to cover from the 12 schools. And it's also really interesting because as a bigger TV entity like ESPN or NBC doesn't own Pac-12 network like SEC network or ACC um, network um, or Big Ten network. The schools own Pac-12 network, as you guys know. So I think that causes a really unique situation as to what's going to be covered or what's going to be prioritized, um, which I think there are good and bad things that come along with that. Um, I can't really speak on whether people were happy or sad to see Larry Scott go. I think in all honesty, there are probably a mix of emotions. I think there are positives and negatives to it, but I think that happens in any leadership position. I mean, you don't take a leadership position unless you're going to be prepared to get uh, scrutinized or criticized for certain decisions that you make. So, I mean, 
I don't know if that it was whether a good or bad thing that he is going, but I do think that Pac-12 is going to be heading in the right direction. And I think we're, uh, we can only go up from what they've created so far. And I think what has been created so far with the network is pretty great. Yeah. And, and one topic that Larry Scott's kind of been under fire for is just the cost of, of operating the Pac-12 up in the Bay Area. And do you see, you know, with all this, the transitioning stuff that you talked about, do you see the Pac-12 network maybe moving to a state like Arizona or going to Las Vegas? Um, do, you, do you see a possibility in that? Or do you, do you see that the um, Pac-12 is pretty, you know, they have their roots in the Bay Area? Or, you know, what, what, what do you think the future holds for the actual location of the Pac-12 network studios? I definitely think there is a possibility that the company will move um, to a different state because California is so expensive. And I do think that a part of that is really sad because, um, I mean, we're all from California, so we can talk yeah. about the state. <laughs> oh gosh, guys, I'm so sorry. One second. No worries. <laughs> Thanks for doing this at, at work too, multitasking. No, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Yeah, I'm I wish sorry. I wish my sports desk was off the hook like that. I mean, oh, I, I get no, like. Is, this isn't just for, this is like, we're in a very small office. So whatever calls we get, it's for everyone. I, I wish every call was for me, but that is not yeah. the case. Yeah, um, I, get, I get like one call maybe a week on at my sports desk too. So <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's, and that's exciting. That's a pretty gem to having one call a week. That's what it's all about. Starting in the small markets and working your way up. That's what happens. You kind of have yeah. to go out of your way to figure out what you want to cover every week. But anyway, back to twelve <laughs> network. So I, I mean, we could talk about the state of our home state. Um, I think. If you have any breaking news, make sure you break it on the dagger. We have to have some, <laughs> we have to have some, uh, our first breaking news. <laughs> oh, we will. No, that's, I mean, there's not much breaking news happening here. Uh, so, but if I ever did get anything, I would let you guys know. So, <laughs> Hopefully if that doesn't ring again, I really hope it doesn't. Um, so I, I do think that will the company will move elsewhere. That is just my personal opinion. Um, and yeah, I think a part of that is sad, but I also do think that, like I said, PAC 12 is in a transitional state. So maybe mm -hmm. starting in a fresh new place is a good thing and uh, saving a little bit of money on uh rent for the building isn't isn't too bad either yeah i mean you mentioned too about some of the other networks merging with espn i know the sec has a deal with them with espn plus i know the big 12 is super involved i mean they show other sports such as volleyball baseball uh stuff that you wouldn't see on the normal networks until conference playoff or national tournament time uh should that be a direction that the pac-12 utilizes when it comes to getting more national exposure because it seems like they it seems like they're kind of under the radar when it comes to getting national exposure especially on the east coast in the central time zone where i am uh games are going on until you know 10 or 11 p.m and they did utilize that during the pandemic when they had um morning football with arizona state and usc playing at 9 a.m local time so that, that's part of the sacrifice that they made. Is that something that the Pac-12 should do as well? I think so. I mean, again, I can't speak on, I'm not an expert as to what goes on 
um, you know, with my small time there, I, I was in the building. I did learn a lot, but again, I'm, I was just in, I, I, I was there to learn and help in any way that I can, but from what I've been reading, just like you guys, and, uh, just from knowing people in there and, and this is not speaking on, on anybody that I know in there, this is my personal opinion, but I 100% think though, I think in terms of getting uh, more national coverage and attention, um, I think you look at the SEC network and you look at the ACC network and the Big Ten network, and I do think that there's more exposure for those schools and those programs than the Pac-12 gets. Um, and the Pac-12 is in a really unique situation, and I think that one of the coolest things about the Pac-12 is that we're very progressive and we cover everything and prioritize all of our sports. And I don't think that that should ever go away. I think that is super, super critical and super awesome. And that's that's a big part of our identity, the Conference of Champions. And, and a lot of those championships that we have are in the Olympic sports. And I think that those sports need to be prioritized just as much as the football and the basketball and the mainstream popular sports. That said, um, the reality is football makes most of the money for everything else to happen. Is that something that is fun to look, look in the eye and go, oh gosh, yes. I mean, everybody loves football, but you wish it were different. You know, you wish that everything could be equal and, and perfect and fun and making all, you know, equal financials, but the reality is football does um, make money for a lot of the other sports to even happen. So that, that said, keeping it's, it's a, it's a balance between keeping the priority of equal coverage of all the sports with also very much prioritizing football because of financial purposes. And also at the end of the day, it is the most popular sport and or one of the most popular sports in America to watch. So it's this, it's a tough thing, right? It's this balance. And again, I'm not an expert on it, but just from what I've read, what you guys have read, um, I, I bottom line, I do think that in terms of exposure and in terms of money and bringing more people to all of the PAC 12 schools, I think you need to be owned by a bigger entity. In, in the sports broadcasting world. Yeah, yeah, great stuff on that. And, you know, speak, uh, sticking with football and sticking in the Pac-12, we'll shift over to Arizona football, and they just brought in a new head coach, Jed Fish. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on that, you know, when that no, when that news kind of broke and, and how you're feeling, you know, Jed Fish, you know, the season hasn't even started, but it seems like things in, in Tucson are, are really ramping up. They have its personal motto on the season. And, you know, you've been on all different sides. You've been a student, student athlete, media member, and, and a cheerleader, a member of the cheer squad. So, you know, what, is this, what does that Jedfish hire mean to you and your, just your, your overall thoughts on that? And, and, you know, it seems like Arizona football is kind of on the right trend, at, you know, preseason, it seems like. Uh, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts, too, because you followed it just as much as I did. You were at every game, and we're obviously all big Wildcat fans. I'm so excited. I think Jed Fish was a great hire. I also think it's awesome that he's brought in so many big-time alum. One particularly, Teddy Bruski, which I was yeah. super pumped about. Big Teddy Bruski fan. And I think from what it looks like on social media – 
they are on the right track. That said, I'm kind of in the I'll believe it when I see it mm-hmm. mode. I, I'm excited about it. I think it all looks great on Twitter and Instagram, but, and this might sound a little harsh, but it's like, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is. Let's see something happen with our program because there's so much potential in Arizona athletics. And, and I think all of us can agree that we're the best. We are the best in the Pac-12. I don't care what you say. I know we are at rock bottom when it comes to uh, football in the past couple of years. But one, we can only go up from here. Two, I think we are going to go up. Three, I just think I think this is the right decision. But I also think I want to I want to see them start winning games and actually being a top contender. So hopefully that does happen, and I have faith that that that, that will happen with this new staff. Yeah, I mean, Alex, we uh, Corey mentioned earlier you did you were on the cheer on the cheer team for four years. Uh, you also worked plenty of internships throughout college. I mean, just tell me, how was it balancing school and athletics, not like club lacrosse? I mean, we put, barely put any time as, of that aside compared to like some of the real athletics at U of A. But what did what was that being on the cheer team like traveling with the football team and basketball teams uh, every other weekend and just being on the road trip and uh, with the rest of your teammates? I mean, like just describe what the, what those last four years were like, and just, you know, as from a student athlete's perspective, I mean, how did it help you become the person and employee that you are today? Great question, Justin. And it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It was a dream come true. I decided that I wanted to do uh, college cheerleading probably at the start of high school. Um, and that was kind of my goal working up. I never knew that I would be at U of A until my senior year, but it all kind of fell into place. I'm sure as your guys's journeys happened as well, it felt right. And it happened and it really defined my college experience was being a part of the Arizona cheer team. I actually just got to see a big portion of my teammates at one of our teammates weddings in January. It was a, obviously a, super small event, um, had all the COVID protocols, but a handful of us were able to be there. And it was so special because it reminded me that these people are kind of like my family away from my family that I was able to make at U of A. Um, and it was hectic. I mean, being, and you know, being a part of even intramural sports, that's a big commitment. And so being a part part of college cheer was, it was an everyday commitment. You couldn't go to every college party that you wanted to go to. You couldn't stay up till 2 a.m. and kind of do whatever you wanted. You woke up every other day at 5 a.m. to get to practice at 6 a.m. And then we had a workout after that. And then we had recovery and then you had to fit school in. And then on top of it, we, we all had internships and, um, and other things going on as well. So it was a big commitment and you have to definitely love it and feel like it's fulfilling to you um, at a, as fun of a school as U of A is where there's a party. You can find a good party every single night. You can find a pool party every single day. I mean, going on, it's, it's, a, it lives up to its expectation. Um, and so 
it was a commitment. We spent a lot of time, again, the 5 a.m. practices and workouts after that. And uh, then sometimes we would, like the month of November, and you guys know this for covering sports, obviously it's been a little crazy with COVID, uh, but you have football, women's and men's basketball, and then it starts, it's this emergence between, I don't even know if that's a word, I'm so sorry, yeah. <laughs> but it's this combination of, co of covering and all of these different types of sports all at once. So at that point, I mean, you, a lot of times you would be going to a basketball game one day and then a football game and then a gymnastics meet. And then we would have appearances within the community. We would have to go out and um, fulfill certain commitments that we had to certain charities or birthday parties or parades throughout the year. Um, so it was a commitment. In terms of the travel, hands down, one of my favorite things next to being on the sideline or courtside of an Arizona home game. The travel is so, so fun. You just feel so a part of the experience. You get dressed up in professional business attire. You and it's, it, it's, it's a serious trip. I mean, the football players and the basketball players, their heads are in the game, the coaches, they aren't really talking to anyone. They're very focused as they should be. And that's kind of have to, how you have to be as well. That said, we're not the ones who are playing the game. So we don't have the, the pressure of on our shoulders of going, all right, we have to go win or lose a game. We're just going to cheer. So it was almost like a little mini vacation that we had throughout. <laughs> you go on the plane, we would sit in the very back of the plane, but we would get the same food that all the football players did, which was insane because I didn't have any room in my stomach for two sandwiches, a large Snickers bar, a bag of chips, an apple, a banana, <laughs> like an extra large Gatorade. But hey, it was great. We got to eat it throughout the whole weekend. And then you would get off the plane, you'd hop on the bus, go to the hotel. And my team and I would go out to dinner. We'd kind of like explore the city or the town that we were, we were in, which was super fun. Um, and it, we were able to get the experience of the place that we were in and going to different stadiums. I mean, you guys have been to different Pac-12 stadiums in your four years of covering sports. And um, I want to hear which stadiums you guys have been to, but you can't beat a football game in Odson. Like you can't, you can't beat an Oregon home football game. In my opinion, they win the football game day experience by a long shot. I love Arizona, but Oregon does it right. Um, and, you know, UCLA was a really special experience cheering at the Rose Bowl. Um, going to Washington. I had a cousin who played on the football team at the time. Uh, that was pretty a special moment. Also the quarterback at Washington, Jake Browning was our rival quarterback in high school. Um, so many games was I on the other sideline cheering against he and his team of all the way from Pop Warner, all the way to high school, all through high school. And then college he ended up being the winningest PAC 12 quarterback in the history of the conference, which is pretty, I mean, pretty amazing to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all of those experiences allowed me to really realize what I wanted to do, which was do sports, uh, sports reporting and continue to be on the sideline and be a part of the experience and tell the stories behind these athletes and the coaches. 
Um, so it was a perfect leeway for me in order in, to realize what I wanted to do with my life. And even if it doesn't end up always being on the sidelines, being a part of sports, and I'm sure you guys feel this way too. It's so much more than just a game. That's the corniest thing to say, but it's true. It teaches you so much about life. It teaches you how to get up when you fail. It teaches you how to be a teammate, a leader, when to listen, when to speak up, all of those things you learn in sports. Um, so that's why I wanted to be a part. Cheer allowed me to do that. And my job now allows me to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That, I was gonna, that was going to be my next question, your favorite stadium that you got to see a game or cheer in a game. Um, so great stuff on that. And um, I think, well, I know I grew up going to SC, USC football games. So the Coliseum, every time, every time they lit the torch was just amazing. And I got to go to one Oregon game at the Autzen Stadium. That was just incredible. Like you're saying, they really had the whole city, it felt like, you know, behind the team. I got to see Herbert play, Justin Herbert play. So that was awesome. And then seeing, I've seen Utah, but my bucket list would probably be the Huskies, Washington football um, to see, I, because they, I think they do boat gating out there. They, they actually are in the water and then they Sail. go on, yeah. <laughs> they go into the stadium. So that's a bucket list for me, but yeah, Pac-12 is definitely has some awesome stadiums. <laughs> yeah. No. So go ahead, Justin. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say I was so I didn't go to a lot of away Pac-12 stadiums growing up, but I was uh, I went to a couple of San Diego State games at the queue when that was around. And, you know, it was it was fun. It was it was not as much of a college environment as, say, some of the other Pac-12 schools were, but it was definitely a good time. But then also on one of our lacrosse road trips, Corey, I accidentally walked into the poly pavilion during one of the ucla games thinking it was a uh <laughs> thinking it was the rec center because we we all of us were going oh, okay. to hit the showers afterwards and then um yeah no they security you know told me to go the other way kind of got a taste of what the poly was like for about 30 seconds but it was you know it was it was it was it's a cool environment definitely and i think one of the other packed or not it, was, it wasn't a pack 12 game but one of the other games that we went to uh, me and my buddies went to was uh, the Arizona Baylor game last year for men's basketball and Baylor was like number three in the nation I think Arizona was like number nine and you know it was a it was a great game it was <clears throat> it was during the Baylor the Baylor football team was playing in the big 12 championship at the same time so there wasn't as many people there but you know, experiencing an Arizona away game is it's awesome like you're around a bunch of fans that went to U of A who you don't even know that you're just high-fiving regardless of like, <laughs> um, you know, the kind of person that they are. I mean, who knows? I mean, people you didn't know, like pre-pandemic, you're high-fiving and, you know, you're you're like you're cheering on like the same alma mater as, as you. I mean, that, that's, that's such a great feeling, honestly, like having the school spirit there and, you know, being around a bunch of other people who have um, – like the same school spirit for their teams. I don't think there's any passion, a much, I don't think there's any fan base that's more passionate than Arizona basketball fans, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Mikhail's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mikhail is, I think the best in the business when we're hot and typically we are hot. It's just like USC football and Oregon football. They, you know, we have in Arizona basketball, we're always expected to be top notch. Obviously, I feel like our program's been in a little bit of a transitional stage. Um, and I guess we maybe haven't been as good as 
everybody would like to see. That said, we're still always good. And um, in terms of basketball, I kind of touched on the, the football stadiums, but we never really traveled to specific away games for basketball, but we did tournament travel. And so that was super special because you guys are right. Arizona basketball fans are some of the best in the business and they traveled so well when it was going to Vegas, the Vegas tournaments were super fun. When the women's PAC 12 tournament was hosted in Seattle, that was an amazing experience. Um, seeing Pike place and getting to experience the city of Seattle was really special. Um, and then going to the big dance and, and being a part of March madness was super amazing. I was able to travel to Salt Lake and that was, that was my sophomore year, um, when Alonzo and DeAndre were playing. And that was, mm. that was pretty incredible. I mean, the fact that we got to see some of the players that we did play in our arena and in our stadium, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. we we had courtside ticket like like courtside seats rather for some of these games. Like we were like right there when we saw Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and Zeke Naji play uh, last season. I mean, there was I mean DeAndre, like you said, went number one overall. Um, Alonzo Trier, who was with the Knicks briefly, and now he's, he's tearing it up in the G League. I mean, some of the some of the players that went to U of A have just been unbelievable. I think we're I think it was. I'm a lot more lucky to say I went there now than I did while I was going there because I went to, I mean, I going to cover a, a, a high school game at the, uh, at the shack where the bison play, it's a lot different from like, like the seating and everything. It's so much different than being at McHale and being in such a really like really packed environment and seeing all the U of A fans just screaming their heads off. And then it's so much different. I mean, I'm just so much more grateful, like after the fact than I was during definitely. Um, but yeah, I just, I actually wanted to touch on to like what working, like working in Montana is like, and also being a woman in sports because uh, working in sports is such a male dominant in industry. And like for you, I, I want to know what that's like as a woman um, being in the sports industry. Yeah, I think in another, you guys have asked uh, awesome questions and I love talking to you guys. I feel like we're just like we were in class a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been very, very lucky to work with great males in the industry who have supported me and taught me and um, who have bared with me and learning all these different types of sports that I have to cover. And so I feel very fortunate. I also feel very fortunate to have worked with amazing women in the business who are supportive and who build you up rather than tear you down. And I think, I think in no matter the industry that you work in, you're always going to have good people and bad people, no matter what it is, you're always going to have people. And this is another thing that sports teach you too, right? Like you're always going to have teammates that you have to be a teammate with that aren't your favorite person. And same goes in the working world. You're going to have to be coworkers with somebody sometimes that isn't your, your favorite human being. Um, but you have to learn how to work with that person and find the positives in everybody. And 
um, I think as a woman too, you just have to learn how to have thick skin. I think whether you're a male or female, female, you need to learn how to have thick skin. You need to learn what your strengths, what your weaknesses are, look those in the eye and play to your strengths, acknowledge your weaknesses and, and work on them and make them better. Um, and so, so I, I feel very fortunate. I've worked with a bunch of great males and females and I, I think that um, obviously there's been a lot of uh, change and ups and downs that have happened within the past couple of years um, with the Me Too movement and all, and it's things that are hard to talk about and it's serious stuff, but it's also good to talk about it. It's also creating positive change, I think. And that's what America is all about, in my opinion. I mean, we're not a perfect place by any means, but do we acknowledge a lot of these things and we work on it? Yes. And I think women in sports are becoming more and more prominent. I think it's becoming more of a welcoming environment. Do I think there's always going to be um, a couple of, to put it nicely, not so nice men? Yes. Are there going to be not nice women? Yes. Like, you it just depends on the situation but you have to have thick skin you need to put the right keep the right people in your corner um and just keep moving forward yeah um and the quick question we, we are running out of time here on our zoom thing but just quickly i want to talk about your favorite thing to do so this i believe the station's abc fox montana right that you're at yes okay so what is I've seen you've been able to do some play-by-play -play stuff. You've been able to be, you know, on air doing live hits. What's been your favorite thing being, a, being an on air or on camera sports reporter? 100% going live. And I think the first time you go live, you feel like you're going to throw up. You don't even remember what you're going to say. And you are just so nervous, but um, once I got used to it a little bit, it reminded me of cheerleading and performing. You get those nerves again, which is what you live for, like that adrenaline rush before you go on. But then you say to yourself in your head, I got this. I got this. I've been studying this. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to talk about. So that for sure is my favorite, but also one, the opportunity, the div diversity of my job, like you said, being able to have the opportunity to try and do play by play, try and do color go live, tell some great stories. Um, and then on top of all of it, Bozeman's an awesome place. And the people who work in the Montana State Athletic Department and in the high school departments are absolutely some of the nicest people I've ever met, hands down. They have their priorities straight as to what they value in life. Um, it's a very family, close, tight-knit community feel here. And I instantly felt welcomed and it's been a great place to learn and grow. Alex, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this week's episode. You're welcome on anytime you would like. And it's always a pleasure getting to talk to you as well. Guys, I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you both. You're paving your own way. And I love seeing the work that you're doing. And you know what? We're just going to keep bearing down and keep moving forward. And I hope to see you guys at a Arizona sporting event soon. Definitely. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This has been awesome. Great catching up. And yeah, JP, you want to take us away? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Okay. And we are back. I know it cut off there a little bit at the end, but we are back. 
and Corey, I mean, one interview, you know, can't thank Alex enough for coming onto the show and, you know, spending time with us. I mean, that's, I mean, it's always good to catch up with uh, some, some U of A alum, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and shout out, she was at, at her, at, at work too. So multitasking and interviewing and taking calls, this and that. And so um, it was, it was a fun time. Great catching up. And I've, you know, we had that sports journalism class together a couple of years ago now too. So it was just kind of like the round table discussion of, you know, what we talked about just as journalists and, and it was great having her on the podcast. So hopefully we can have her on again and, and, um, and just keep these guests rolling on. And, and these are fun. I've, I've had a lot of fun with these conversations and, and yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a, it's always great to have uh, guests on the show. I mean, especially Alex, because I mean, you know, she always, uh, she's, she, she's been great for, you know, being in the sports industry. I mean, she represents uh, not only U of A, but you know, all the, all the other women in the sports industry really well. I mean, so, I mean, can't thank her enough for coming on and, you know, we hope to have her on again, like you said. So, um, Corey, let's get into our next segment now, dagger or no dagger. You know, we, th- we pick, uh, each of us sell each other three topics. And, you know, if we say dagger, we agree, no dagger, we disagree. So Corey, here's my first one. Um, so the chargers recently announced that Hunter Henry will not be franchise tagged, which means he will be a free agent, uh, Corey dagger or no dagger Hunter Henry ends up signing with another team in the AFC dagger or no dagger Ooh, in the AFC, you know, I Hunter Henry, I think he was a guy too, that uh, if you go back to last, the last free agency, we weren't sure if Hunter Henry, Henry, Hunter Henry was going to be on the chargers. And so he got, we stayed on the team for another year, but now he hits free agency. So I do think that, you know, one thing about Herbert, Herbert was that he spread the ball around like crazy. So he, he got a bunch of guys, their first NFL touchdown. And so it seemed like Phil Rivers and Hunter Henry had a better connection than Justin Herbert did. And so maybe this might be a reason why, and maybe they're looking for a different tight end, but I mean, they, I, they have a couple different tight ends, but it seemed like Hunter Henry was definitely the, the first guy, the number one tight end. And so you'd think they would bring it back on, but we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think that they might, it seems like Hunter Henry is really, if you follow him on social media too, he's really in the, in the Newport beach Costa Mesa community too. So he, it seems like he wants to be a SoCal guy, be on the chargers, but with this hitting this free agency, it seems like chargers might have a different idea about this, but so I'm, I'm, I might say, I'm going to say, I might have to say dagger on this one that he'll go to a different team. And he did have a little bit of a down year. I feel like, or maybe a bit more of an inconsistent year is the better way to say it. Um, as far as his connection with Justin Herbert. So I think he might go, I'm going to, I'll say dagger to go to a different team. I am going to say dagger to him going to a different team, but I think he'll go to the NFC team in LA and that's going to be the Rams. Rams I think he, yeah. he signs a short term deal with the Rams. I think he joins Stafford and McVay in that offense. And uh, I, you know, yeah. we've seen Stafford have some good connections over the, um, over the years with some tight ends, uh, TJ Hawkinson, uh, to say the least, Eric Ebron as well. Um, you know, we've seen some good connections with uh, Stafford and his tight ends. I think he, I think he stays in the area and goes to the Rams and signs, you know, maybe a one or two year deal to um, really wait out the market and see where he lands next year. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say dagger for um, all teams. No dagger to the AFC teams. I think he's either okay. gonna say stay in SoCal as an AFC 
member or an NFC member. So uh, of the Rams, that is. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like the Bronco Chargers and Broncos the last couple of years have had kind of a a two two team deal. It looks like where you have Melvin Gordon going over there, uh, Chris Harris coming over to the Chargers. So I don't know, maybe. Um, but they also have Noah Fant over on the Broncos. So I don't know. We'll see there. But I, I could, you know, and the division would be crazy. But yeah, I think he might his time as a Charger might be up. Um, yeah. But speaking speaking of guys going from different teams, we have Blake Griffin who has signed with the. Brooklyn Nets um, going from the Clippers contract was bought out and then he went to the Pistons his contract was bought out and now he lands on the title favorites in the Brooklyn Nets so do you see it you know do you think this uh, there's a lot to unpack in this one because it you know potentially hurts KD's legacy you know KD is injured by the way too so he's, he's not he, you know he didn't play in the all-star game and hopefully we'll get him back sooner rather than later but now you have a four-headed monster, and, and you know Blake, Blake Griffin isn't the guy that he you know he he once was, but he has scored like twenty. His, he had a couple nice twenty pointers this year already. So, do you think that this this first of all is this a good move for for Blake Griffin and the Nets? And do you think this will hurt Katie's legacy? This having this four-headed monster uh, of a team in Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden and Blake Griffin now. I, I mean, I'm going to say no dagger to that. I think his legacy was already, you know, joining his 73, nine, uh, 73 and nine warriors was already enough for him to have that against his legacy. But I think the Nets are smart in this situation because organizationally they're building through trades and um, they got a couple of free agents as well. I think that, I think that that was, that was never the plan to stack the team up like this with both of KD and Kyrie healthy. I think, when KD was injured last year, I think they wanted to kind of just wait out the market just to see who, who was there and who wasn't there. And I, and I liked how they didn't pick up a bunch of guys last year, but I mean, they did give up a few key pieces. I mean, they gave up LeVert, Allen, um, now they have Blake Griffin and of course, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a little, it's a little strange to see uh, how KD is getting the benefit of having you know, a former NBA all-first team, DeAndre Jordan, six-time all-star, Blake Griffin, uh, Joe Harris, one of the best three-point shooters in the game, Kyrie, one of the best ball handlers in the game, and then, you know, Kevin Durant, one of the most lethal scorers at his position, all on one team, and a former, you know, a former point guard and an NBA championship as as a special assistant, Steve Nash, so... And Mike Dan- and Mike D'Antoni as an assistant, <laughs> yeah. so that's that's also that's a lot of help right there. But um, I think is I think Katie's legacy was already already wiped out of the right wiped out of the water. But I think like the Nets are smart, and it's this is all out of Katie's control. Like he joined Kyrie thinking it was just going to be two of them, but the Nets obviously made some moves. They got Harden as well. I didn't even mention that earlier, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no, yes. they, I mean, they stacked, they stacked the deck for Kevin Durant in the East. Uh, they made sure that they were a lock to win the, and the Eastern conference and the NBA and, and go to the NBA finals. I think New York needs it. I think, I think this is well needed for the NBA to potentially have a New York LA NBA finals. Um, we haven't seen that since, since the seventies. So this is oh no 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 
take, I'll take that back. The New Jersey Nets and the and the Lakers met in I think in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, if that if that counts, since they were in Newark and that's like 30 miles away. But this is the first like New York metropolitan city, and um, you know, LA NBA fi- potentially an NBA fi- uh, LA New York LA NBA finals since uh, the 70s. So I mean, that's that's big. Yeah, I mean, if I'm KD. I almost don't want this to happen in this this way because you know if, if you're trying to go for your first ring like Blake Griffin is it you know I, Blake Griffin's probably stoked about this he's he's excited you know um, but with Kevin Durant it's like you know I I, I thought it was going to be me and Kyrie to to go on, on and win this and prove my legacy I don't need five All Stars to win to win a championship but it's looking like he does because now you got I mean. At any at any point in time, those three guys can score ninety points like in a game. So it's just and you know I'm kind of I don't know how KD feels about this, but it's it's just it seems like championship or bust if they don't win this. If LeBron goes on and beats this squad, and it, you know in the finals, then it's going to be or whoever might it, maybe it'd be the Clippers or whoever else. But um, if LeBron goes on and does this, I mean this might cement his legacy as like he had KD. Kyrie and uh, Harden on the same team. It's like people look back on this and say how crazy this season has been. But um, so a lot to see on the Nets. We'll see how Blake Griffin fits in. I feel like it's going to be harder for him to score, but he might be more of a decoy in that sense. But he had a, he had a couple of nice games with the Pistons, so it's going to be a stacked roster to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so dagger or no dagger, Corey NBA All Star edition. Uh, Steph Curry winning the three point contest makes him the most influential NBA player today, dagger or no dagger. Ooh, that's, oh, that's tough. Cause oh my, yeah, that's when you talk about influential, I mean, I feel like the first stat guy you think about is Michael Jordan and just changing the league and, and almost like saving the league too. And yeah. Um, and I mean, just because things were kind of fading out. I mean, the NBA, if you look back in like the eighties or just, there was, it's nothing compared to what it is nowadays. And then you have Larry Bird and Magic that came in and and Kareem and then Michael Jordan just really just, you know, catapulted the NBA to what it is now. And you have people all over the world wearing Jordans, talking about Michael Jordan, sticking their tongue out when they, you know, make hit a layup or go for a dunk or anything. And so, but Steph Curry, I mean, everybody has thinks that they have a 30 foot uh, jumper, you know, out, out of their back pocket. So, I mean, that, and that's, if you just go to a 24 hour fitness, yeah, you see guys shooting from half court and you, <laughs> you go in the playground, you see, or, or whatever nowadays, I'm sure there's kids that are hitting jumpers from, you know, from the slide or something. I don't know. But like, so I think that <laughs> the, <laughs> I think Curry, I mean, Curry has changed the, maybe the actual game because of just the shooting range. And so um, I think, and, and he's will for sure be, he'll for sure catch up to Ray Allen in the, in the most overall three pointers. And I don't think that will be ever caught with, with Steph Curry that, that whenever he calls it quits on his career, um, who knows how many threes he'll, he'll, he'll make, uh, in the next, whatever, you know, maybe even five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Um, so I think by the end of his career, I think you could say that dagger that he most influential player, um, maybe I, I feel like Jordan, just with his um, off the court stuff too, just with all the Jordan brand and and what that means to so many people, um, and the just basketball in general, just the way he played the game, that's gonna be hard to beat. But I think Curry as right is just gonna maybe surpass that. Yeah. So I'll say dagger. 
Yeah, no, it's, that, that could be, I mean, the three point shots really evolved over the years. I mean, it's, I mean, definitely one of the most influential parts about basketball today. I mean, seeing how the women's games change, seeing how, uh, you know, seeing Dame and Steph pull up from half court in the yeah. all-star game. I mean, it really set the tone for what basketball is going to become in, uh, in, in less than a decade. I mean, it's going to be all three point shooting guys are already passing up player layups to, um, go for the three point shot. So, I mean, yeah, no, it, it's definitely going to change the game. So, yeah. It's just, it's crazy too. Cause on the NBA, it's changed. It's changed every spot on the floor too, because now you have big man that uh, power forwards and centers that have to have a three point um, shot in their, in their arsenal. So it's like, it's changed so much and it's just changed defense and just how the game is played just in general. It's brought it back way farther. Um, and so, but yeah, so, okay. So we'll go on to, Great, great question, by the way. That was a great one. Um, and so over here, so I'm going to go over to college football. Um, so you have two attack of Viola and Mac Jones, former Alabama quarterbacks. Um, and they were kind of, they were kind of an, a hot topic because somebody, it was leaked that, um, that Devonte Smith said that he preferred uh, Mac Jones over to attack of Viola. And then on, on the NFL network, um, uh, they, Jalen Waddle was, it was on, the NFL network and they asked him who he prefers and both right off the bat said Mac Jones, like no, like no hesitation. They didn't worry about throwing anyone under the bus. And, and I think they were kind of put in a bad spot because, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't put people in that position saying, you know, cause they could be good friends. And if you, you blow this up on social media, it's like, Hey man, I thought you had my back. So, but yeah. you have, they both went overall Mac Jones. So do you see, is this a problem for Tua or, you know, First of all, what, what do you make of it? And then um, do you think that Mac Jones will have a better or is a better quarterback than Tua Tagovailoa? Um, I'm going to say with uh, Dagger about it ruining, ruining Tua. I think it. Is, I think it's, I mean, Tua's, le- Tua's legacy is going to be kind of short in the NFL because you, you can see um, you can see what is happening with the Dolphins as of right now. I mean, their offensive coordinator resigned during the offseason one literally the day after the team announced that he was uh, coming back next season. So it's already, people are already asking questions about Tua and what he's capable of doing. I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he pans out in a couple of years compared to um, some of the other quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert taken in the draft. I mean, Tua was taken second out of, out of those three quarterbacks. So the pressure's on Miami to really execute and, really make the most of the situation you definitely don't want a first round draft bust but that being said i mean if they have Fitzpatrick as another option next year they're gonna have to they're gonna have to make a decision on whether they want to bring him back or if they're going to bring in another quarterback to help Tua out that's going to be a big decision for miami if uh if they don't capitalize on having Tua be be their be certain as their guy for the next few years. So I'm going to say dagger on that, on that, on those comments by Jalen Waddle and uh, Devonte Smith. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I don't want to write off Tua yet, but it's, he's had a you know rough year. I mean, even back to going back to college with a broken hip. And so, yeah, he's, he's got, you know, definitely has a lot to prove, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of a random, you don't see players, you know, answer those questions. Truthfully, you seem like, but boom, they just went right into it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Definitely. Um, so last round of dagger or no dagger. Um, let's see. Um, the Suns, who are currently secondly in the uh, Western Conference in the NBA standings, yeah. they will be in the Western Conference finals come, when is it, June or July? I think the NBA playoffs are. Um, yeah, so towards, yeah, towards either June or July, the Suns will be in the Western Conference finals uh dagger or no dagger Ooh, western conference finals oh that's that's a tough one um i'm gonna say you know shout out to the suns for really turning around the the program just in the last couple of years and i really liked you know just being you know going living in arizona for four years it's fun to be to see the suns you know perform like this and so i think for sure, I think they can make it, you know, just as the standings sit right now, they'd play the Spurs in the first round at the two and the seven seed. So I think they can win that one. Um, but I think it'd be tough to advance past the second round for them. I don't know. That's that's a tricky one. The West is going to be so stacked this year. But I'll, I'm going to say no dagger on the, on the finals. I think it's either going to be um, some combination of Clippers, Lakers, maybe even Utah um, or Portland, if they get healthy, could sneak in there. So I think it'd be, it'd be a combination of those, those teams, those four teams. Um, but I think, I think the, the, the Suns are definitely trending in the right way, but the, I think just in the order of the NBA, I think LeBron's still going to be on a mission and Kawhi are still going to be on that mission to get there. Um, yeah. So I'll say, I'll say no dagger on that one. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see if they do make the Western Conference Finals or not. I think they'll probably if they if the seeds remain as it is today, I think they'll end up losing to the Lakers in six or seven games. Um, I think Chris Paul has been really influential influential for uh, the Suns. It's really pushed them to play at their potential. I don't think Devin Booker gets enough credit for being a scorer, one of the most elite scorers in today's game that he is, and. You know, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see what the Suns do, because they were, you know, they were really at a low point a few years ago when they had De'Anthony Melton as their starting point guard. So I'm going to say I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say da- I'm, I'm going to say no dagger on that one. Yeah, I mean, but I also have to say, too, if the Suns and the Clippers play in the second round, I will be not be able to to <laughs> I'll be so stressed out. You know, they're dang- the Suns are a dangerous team, and um, and so, at the, you know, I'm I, I don't think they'll make it to the finals or the Western Conference finals, but if the Clippers do play them in the second round. That could be potentially really freaky for all Clippers fans out there. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, sticking on basketball, sticking on the All Star game, uh, for my last dagger, no dagger. Um, you know, I'll I'll say this. You know, with, keep this in mind. I can't do I can't do any of these dunks or even dunk on a ten foot rim. So. I mean, I can't say too much, but was this the worst? We had a, only three guys in the contest, you know, pretty much not, you know, not, I want to say not known guys, but besides Obi Toppin, but I, you know, the other two guys, it's just kind of, that. it was kind of a, it just a subpar uh, dunk contest to say the least. Was this the worst dunk contest of, of all time? I, I mean, I'm not going to say it was or wasn't, I, yeah. It just it would have been more exciting to have fans in the stands. I think that alone took away the excitement from the dunk contest because having you know not a lot of fans in the stands, it's tough to have. Yeah. It's tough to have a, an exciting dunk contest with 
not a lot of people watching. So, um, you know, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon definitely spoiled us. I'll say that yeah. in 2016. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we need to, I think we really need to reevaluate who is going to be in these dunk, dunk contests and, you know, who, who wants to participate. I know the judges have been kind of off with their accuracy over the last few years and it's gotten a lot of scrutiny. <laughs> so, I mean, it's gotten yeah. a lot of scrutiny. So I, I definitely think that having that part reevaluated would be uh, the best case scenario for the NBA and having their stars compete in general. So, yeah, I just, I, I can't, they can't get back to that, that, that 90s dunk contest, it seemed early 2000s. And I think they, they got to change the judges. They've tried so many different judging formats and I, I don't think any of them have worked in the last 10 years, maybe, or yeah, there's been some type of controversy in the last like five, 10 years of the dunk contest. And maybe they have to make more incentives to get bigger players. I mean, I don't know if you want to do it money-wise, um, money incentive or charity incentive, or I don't know what else it would be, but how do you get, how do we get back to the Jordan, you know, Co- I mean, Kobe only, he, Kobe did one year, but, but still, I mean, LeBron hasn't been at the dunk contest at all. I feel like we, some prime LeBron dunk contest would be awesome, but um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they might have to change this format a little bit. Yeah, no, they definitely are going to have to give out more incentive to um, winners and participants in the dunk contest. I know um, yeah. getting the getting the league's top stars is what's going to take for um, for the for that part of the All Star weekend to be exciting. That's what it's going to take. So I definitely think we can uh, definitely think we can do that as a you know get that voted in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But. Yeah, we're going to go on to our Dagger Fives, uh, Dagger Five segment for uh, for the show. So let's get started with that. Corey, do you have do you have your Dagger Five all set in stone? I have I have my top three. I'm searching for my last two. Okay. So yeah, so re yeah, so I'm going to go first with my dagger with um with my Dagger Five. I'm going to go with a little bit of conference tournament action to start off. I'm going to go with um actually not not conference tournament action but uh college basketball uh action to start off byu and gonzaga top rank gonzaga is a 14 point favorite i'm gonna go with gonzaga in that game also um what else oh we have the we have the big 10 and uh all the all the conference tournaments are this weekend so i'm gonna pick all of my winners for all those conference tournaments for the rest of them i'm gonna go with um I'm going to go with Oregon for the, for the PAC 12. I'm going to go with Michigan for the big 10. I'm going to go with uh, Baylor for the big 12 and for the ACC. I'm going to go with Virginia. Okay. So no, no SEC pick. I left that out. Uh, That was kind of, that was kind of my, that was kind of my move going in. I'm not sure who's going to win the SEC. It's all wide open this year with Kentucky not being as good. So I'm going to leave that out and give you those four winners. There you go. Um, so I'm going to go. Yeah. And, the, and also too, we have a lot of guests coming up too, that we're going to talk about college basketball too. So we're both on the women's and men's side. So stay tuned for that. Um, but it's going to be a fun week. I wish Arizona could, could have played in the PAC 12 um, conference um, championship, but here, so I'll roll into my dagger five uh, warriors, warriors and Clippers. They come back out of the all-star break on Thursday. Um, that's going to be a fun one to see Curry uh, fresh off of the uh, winning the three-point contest. Um, they, you know, he's still carrying his Warriors to 
you know, pretty much a pretty solid season. But I think um, the Clippers are on a three game losing skid right now. So it's going to be big for the Clippers to get back on track. I think I've said this last three times, but this is going to be the game they get back on track. Um, Then um, going on to Monday and a little bit into next week, um, Clippers in Dallas, they rematch after that um that you know fun series in the in the NBA bubble where the Clippers ended up getting the best of them there, but that's going to be a fun one. Um, I could see Dallas pulling this one off, especially, but it, I get it, it depends on what the what the Clippers and Warriors do in that first game. Um, and then a little hockey action: the Kings and Ducks have been on a freeway series. So last night the Ducks won an overtime, a little a nice little overtime goal to uh, to win it there. So the that's going to be the next couple of days for the Kings and Ducks. A uh, little hockey action. Um, and then Boston and Brooklyn play uh, later on this week. And I think that Brooklyn will, will get that one. Hopefully, I'm not sure the timetable on KD, but hopefully KD gets back. Uh, and then in the conference, um, in the conference NCAA conference tournaments, um, uh, Texas and Texas Tech play. So that's going to be, I think that'll be a fun one. Just to, that right now there'll be, unfortunately, the conference tournaments, we don't know. You know they'll have to play it themselves out, but we'll have some. There'll be some fun matchups for the for the winners of all those conferences. So, um, but that's my dagger five. Sweet, awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go with our dagger of the week. I got mine. Uh, you posted this last night on our Instagram, so I'm gonna go with the Henrik overtime goal by uh, assisted by rookie. Um, yeah, assisted by the by one of the Ducks rookies, uh, Billy, uh, not Billy, Trevor Zagris, Billy's his cousin. Whoops, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, Trevor Zagris to Adam Henrique for the overtime goal um, against the Kings uh, Monday night. So that's that's you know that's my dagger of the week. Yeah, that that's a beauty. Um, so I'm trying to pull up the audio for mine, but uh, so so yeah, the Ducks one was awesome. It's March, by the way, so we have a lot of. We're going to have, this is going to be the month of the dagger. So um, I have a bunch of them. So you see USC, UCLA, Dame, um, Ducks, overtime win. Uh, I think Memphis and Houston had a last second heave to win that game. But I think out of all those awesome shots, I think Damian Lillard was awesome to, to win, win the all-star game for team LeBron. That was a beauty out of nowhere too. So I, we had that on our story too. So hopefully you guys, you guys saw that, but I'm going to go Bryson De, uh, DeChambeau uh, or DeChambeau. 377 yard drive he just he was absolutely hitting bombs in the Arnold Palmer Invitational he was and the Shambo is a controversial type of guy he's a lot like kind of like reminds me of Trevor Bauer of golf where he's very particular about things that he does he's he'll say what he wants to do he says what's on his mind he does you know he's even talking about this year this week the players um Invitational is, or the players open is coming up in Florida uh, this week in a couple of days and he's already talking about different ways to approach the tee shot so he's a very interesting guy but just the I just have to admire the shot that he took on uh, I, I can't remember what hole it was but it was just a 377 yard drive just bombed um, so that was just incredible um, I'm gonna see if I can play the audio for this <laughs> and I figured it wait let's see yeah I heard it uh, <laughs> just <laughs> absolutely smoked so um yeah. and that was on low volume too so he, yeah yeah that was just awesome and he had a great celebration to go with it and and ended up getting the win so um and and so shout out to bryson and uh so that was my dagger of the week 
Yeah, I would kill to have a drive like that. I mean, going to Top Golf and being a, one of the biggest show offs ever. I mean, that's that's definitely the ultimate goal here. But yeah, um, yeah, you said he's the Trevor Bauer of uh, golf, and I just want to say shout out to Trevor Bauer for giving the Padres as much ammunition as you can to, uh, you know, put a really put a big dent into the Dodgers season. He yeah, said, talking, yeah. So he, so on uh, during their spring training game this past week against the Padres, he was he pitched the whole first inning with one eye closed, and it was just to work yeah. on his vision and all of that, which made sense. But at the same time, he went out and said, um, I think he said something along the lines of, I allegedly he said, I think it was what was it? It was. If, if I can, if I can, if I can check him out with one eye, I could easily do it with two or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that exactly. That was exactly what I said. So I mean, shout to Trevor Bauer in making the Padres Dodgers rivalry that yeah. much more, um, making it much more exciting for it for that for uh, for spring training at least. I mean, <laughs> you know, can't can't really hate on the guy for trying to market himself. I mean, that's I mean, shoot. The guy wanted Mickey Mouse Cy, Cy Young. So, I mean, 60, oh, games no. still, 60 games is still a season, I guess. So, shout out to Trevor. But, um, yeah, that's it for us here on The Dagger. We have a, a, a special guest next week. He, we, he's been on the show before. So, we're going to bring him on again. So, uh, you guys will wait. We're going to wait on who it is to tell you guys. But in the meantime, subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, we, you guys should know all of our candles by now. Uh, just search the Dagger Podcast, and it should be right there. In the meantime, take care, everybody. Have a great week, and stay safe. Mm-hmm.